lots and lots of spoilers. Attention please, attention, these are the announcements for today. We will be having bacon burgers and tater tots for lunch. Tryouts Damn, for the school again? play will be held at 3.30 in the auditorium. And this week's episode of Max Mike Movies will begin now! Welcome, freaks and dweebies. It's that show where those two guys talk about movies so you don't have to. We're smack dab at the end, sort of. Or, uh, uh, yeah, sort of. Of our series about ancient history, the 90s. This week, we take on Wes Anderson's second movie, 1998's Rushmore. This is where it nearly all began for Anderson, who would go on to make at least one more movie. But who are we to do be doing this thing? Well, on the pink plinth, we have the president of the Glee Club, Tiara in hand, musical Max Levine. And I, I am the MC who will definitely <laughs> M your C, the annoyingly Ooh. trite Mike Luce. Say hello. Hello. Thanks. Thank hello. You. Yeah, I, a lot of people don't know this, that uh, Rushmore is actually the sequel to Ru Wes Anderson's first movie, Rush Less. No, it isn't. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You've got everything wrong. <laughs> right, but before we get to our feature presentation, there are some hmm. rules to go over, lest you be served with a detention slip. Demerit, demerit. <laughs> or as they called them in uh, junior high for us, blue slips, because they oh. were, you know, blue. <clears throat> huh. Yeah, Ooh, who cares? Right, so rule number one. If you would like to listen to our show, which you're already doing, if you can hear this part. Right. Rule number one, you will listen to our show only on you a podcast app. You will listen to our show. <laughs> Please. Yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, you will listen to it on a podcast app of your choice, which includes places like Spotify, or you may tune into our website, which of course is Max Mike Movies. And hey, speaking of website, that suggests the internet. And if you would like to communicate with us, which you can, I will ask that you don't Text us, even if you know how, that you, in fact, email us at our email Someone's address. Someone's getting texted. Oh, thankfully. Uh, no, actually, I did get text this week. Uh, Val, I'm looking right at you. Please leave comments either on the website or you can email us directly at us at maxmikemovies.com. And hey, social media, because we all love social media, where you oh, can yeah. find us lots of places such as Facebook and Twitter. Well, I guess lots in this And we're working on our TikTok dances. No, we really aren't. <laughs> oh, we so are. You should see Mike wears leggings and everything. Well, I have legs, if that's what you mean. And he knows how to use them. Yes, yes. We are on Twitter and Facebook as Max Mike Movies. But now... Oh, yes, we're, we're also on uh, Usenet under altbumpy.die.die.die.die. <laughs> Bumpy is a lovely pony, and you should stop dissing. Do not diss the Bumpy. <laughs> he is he is one dead pony as soon as I find his last Horcrux. Get him, Bumpy! <laughs> Come on! Come on, you hoof twerp! Wouldn't that be Horsecrux, I think? <laughs> but I guess it depends on how many Magiclorians you have. <laughs> That's well, right. before this show is taken over by stuff and or reasons, our, our two helpers, yep. uh, let's get to trivia for Rushmore. Rushmore. The show. So the budget. Any idea, Max? Because this is an indie film, so it's not huge. $15.20. <laughs> Aim high. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. This does have Bill Murray in it, and he was at a kind of expensive level, so it must have been in the millions at least. It is. It was $9.5 And we're going to get to uh, Mr. Murray's uh, salary in a moment. The take, take a guess. I don't remember this being all that popular. Uh, 15 mil? You're close. It was 18. So hey. for an independent so, film, eh, yeah. it's still kind of meh. That yeah. being said, it was not only critically acclaimed, but has already been added to the list of preserved films of the National Film Registry. Huh. Yeah. On the strength of Bottle Rocket, which was Wes Anderson's first film, New Line approached Wes Anderson to make his next film with them, more or less. Actually, what happened was he couldn't get funding, so he raffled off or, or put out an auction for the rights and, uh, strangely, New Line bit. So, huh. yeah. So, speaking of Bill Murray, who is in this film, he was approached by a bu bunch of different people on Anderson's behalf, including Murray's agent, based on the strength of the script. 
The script was the final reason that Murray decided to do the movie. He also agreed to work for scale, which amounted to around $9,000. He has since worked in one way or another on almost every other Anderson film. Yeah, yeah, he became one of Wes Anderson's stable. Well, the other thing, too, is that this revitalized his career because he, after this film, suddenly became an indie film darling and did quite a few other films that weren't what we, you were expecting from Bill right. Murray. Bro- such Broken as, Flowers. And, and, uh, Lost, um, in, tra- Lost uh, in Translation. Lost in Translation, which I really like. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was sort of a win-win. And apparently one of the reasons that he decided to continue working with Anderson uh, was that he thought that the script was really well-written and very detailed. So he nope, never nope, that, I'm sorry, that's wrong. He continued to work with Wes Anderson for the same reason that the, the Wilson brothers and Bob Balaban and, all, and Jeff Goldblum and all the others continue. Uh, because once Wes, if you turn your back on Wes Anderson, he implants his fangs in the back of your neck and from the gland in his uh, throat forces his obopositor into your brain and you become basically his property. Bumpy, please be ready. We're going to need you any moment. <laughs> yes, we will. We're almost out of jerky. <sighs> None of that is true. Wes Anderson. <laughs> Every is not word a- I read it on the internet. <laughs> Wes Anderson does not have an ovipositor. He does not fang bite his. Kick- no, no. Right. So moving on. This is the second film that was co-wrote, co-written with Owen Wilson, and one of the reasons is that they both went to high school together. In fact. They went to a, the high school that was uh, used as Rushmore in this film. Although it was Owen Wilson who got expelled. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Uh, if you've never seen Wes Anderson, quite honestly, he looks very much like somebody who would in fact appear in a Wes Anderson yeah, film. Yeah, I've seen pictures of him. He really looks like one of his characters. Yeah. Uh, he actually cites Mike Nichols as a huge influence to the point where one of the scenes in this film, uh, which is where one of the characters, I believe it is Max, is sitting at the bottom of a pool, is, shall we say, mirrored from a very similar scene in The Graduate. Oh, no, that's, that's um, uh, Herman. Herman's in the pool with that. Oh, that's that, right. That's that, right. That, yep. weird, that creepy little kid swimming around him. Yeah. <laughs> he is a creepy little He's a kid. strange looking little little man. I, I, I hope he went on to yeah. do many good things with his life, but he was a strange looking little boy. So Jason Schwartzman, who is ostensibly the star of this film, uh, this is his first film, but uh, he's not from exactly nowhere. He comes from royalty. Huh? He is the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola. Oh my God, just another like Nic- Coppola web. Jeez. Yeah, just like Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is his first film. I tell you, Before Shire. this, mm-hmm. um, yeah, of course there's Sofia Coppola too. Although I actually like, I loved Lost in Translation. So As a I director, a Sofia Coppola is terrific. As an yes. actor, she's a great director. <laughs> uh, before this, he was in a band called Phantom Planet, which itself is named after a very odd animated French film. Actually, I thought that Fantastic was Fantastic Planet, Planet. Planet. yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, they're still making albums just without Jason Schwartzman huh. because he's busy doing things. I mainly knew Jason uh, Schwartzman from uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the U- the World. I have this feeling I've seen him in, seen him in things and not realized it was. You him. have. But He's been you. in a ton, and he you don't recognize him until. Oh yeah, Jason Schwartzman. Sure. Oh yeah, I think he has facial hair now, doesn't he? Uh, he has at least in one movie, and it doesn't do him any favors. He well, okay. In this film, it looks like he couldn't spell facial hair, but he was actually, I think, seventeen at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, Anderson has admitted that this movie is more or less autobiographical, Ooh. and that Max is much like he was in high school, although he was far more shy than his protagonist. Huh. The school that stands in Farshmore Academy, as I said, is the actual school that he went uh, went to, though it wasn't he that was expelled, it was Owen Wilson. Uh, this is St. John's Academy, and it's in Texas. Mm. Um, interestingly, the uh, public school, the, the you oh, know, Grover lesser Cleveland, school, yeah. Yeah, is across the street from St. John's. Oh! <laughs> they actually dirtied it up to make it look more... Um, public mm. i guess Roald Dahl's books have been mentioned a number of times as influencing the look of this film uh specifically reds blues and greens are emphasized to give the idea of a heightened reality such mm. as in Dahl's narratives anderson would also go on to adapt one of Dahl's books the fantastic mr fox mm. okay. but enough about me <laughs> let's talk about the plot unless you have any other nope, nope, tidbits that, you nope. know right uh the plot Max loves his prep school, Rushmore. Not this Max, that Max. No. That's right. He is, in his way, the heart of its soul, or 
something like that. The problem is, is that while Max seems to know everyone and do everything, including founding most of the school's extracurricular clubs and activities, he's not a good student. Put on double secret probation, <laughs> Max finds himself and his life teetering on the edge, especially when he runs into one of the school's new teachers, Miss Cross. Max develops a crush on her. Meanwhile, Max runs into the father of two other Rushmore students, a pair of abusive twins that even their father doesn't like. The two develop an unlikely friendship, Max and the father, which is soon tested when Herman Bloom, played by Bill Murray, develops a crush on the same teacher as Max. Mm. From then on, it's a less-than-friendly rivalry as Max is expelled, Herman is divorced, and many other things that happen to all of us in high school um, uh, happen. I, did, sure. I do not remember... T- placing bees in anyone's hotel room. Oh, that came after you left. Oh, okay. <laughs> in the end, Max writes his plays at his new school, casts members from his old school, and generally seems to get on with life not entirely unlike the film's director. <laughs> the end. The lowdown. So. Yeah, that covers a lot of it. As I usually ask, uh, or you usually ask, depending on who's hosting. Uh, Max, had you seen this before? I have never seen this before. I've seen a bunch of Wes Anderson movies. I have never seen this one. Which Wes Anderson films had you seen before this? Well, so Fantastic Mr. Fox, of course. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs, uh, oh boy, <laughs> The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, well, well, that that one I can't. That one I cannot judge objectively because I saw that the day I lost my job, and uh, yeah, I was like, I need to go see something. That I think was the first Wes Anderson movie I saw. I was like, I got. I'm in a terrible mood. I should go see something fun. I hear this Wes Anderson guy writes comedies. <laughs> yeah, this was a mistake. Technically, yeah, he does things that are funny, but I left that movie going well. How tall is that parking garage, and would jumping off it actually kill me? Yikes. I did something like that once, too. Uh, at one point, my uh, my then-girlfriend uh, dumped me long distance over the phone, and I thought, hey, you know what will make me feel better? I think I'll go alone to see Lord of the Flies. Oh, no! <laughs> wow, um, I think you found the one say, that would be worse. <laughs> needless to say, it didn't make me feel any better. Uh, I mean, hey, I guess I'm not on a, a desert aisle with a bunch of kids, but that was the only high point of that experience. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I've seen a couple of others. I just I, Every once in a while I forget that it's a Wes Anderson movie or I forget one I've seen, which is strange because, oh yeah, that was Moonrise Kingdom. I saw that too. That's one of my favorites. I think it's really well done. But boy, this movie, it is not... As Wes Anderson-y as he becomes later, but you can really see the roots. Yeah, it's, uh, there's some people who are just known to have a voice, like whether they're painters or dancers, it's like you can see their work and instantly know who they are. This is only a second film. I've not seen Bottle Rocket, and I guess it's a very low budget film, and sadly there's a lot of Owen Wilson in it, so that's another reason, but, um... Uh, this to me is, this is like his first big budget film and man is the voice there. (laughs) It really is the quirky, the weird quirky music, the strange overhead shots of carefully arranged objects, the weird camera angles, the occasional voiceovers out of nowhere. Well, the funny thing is, is that the camera angles aren't actually weird. The thing is, is that they're so straight on. It's like, they're always like, you're looking at a stage. Yeah, he's very into that. And there's a lot of often shots of the camera being absolutely still and people running past it. Yeah. Or running or, across, in effect, running from stage, from camera left to camera right or vice versa. Or somehow staring into the camera and not breaking the fourth wall. Which yeah. Is it's really, just the, I don't know how he does that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unnerving when it happens because you realize you're just seeing this person staring, in effect, at nothing. Or it turns out they're staring at another character. Yeah. They they are uh, not looking at the audience. It's and I it, I mm. guess this is that heightened reality. Although I don't think I would call it heightened reality. I think I would call it sort of obvious non-reality. This is one of the things about Wes Anderson. People either really like him or cannot stand him. They just think he's too twee. Yeah, he's very precious. He's and, very into. Isn't this adorable? I'm so adorable. Well. There is, but then there's these other aspects in the film that make it less adorable. So it's not mm. like you could show this to kids. Yeah, I mean, no, that's you, the thing. His characters, 
this movie is problematic for me in a lot of ways because <laughs> really why yeah the characters are awful they're terrible most people most, most of them are terrible people or well, if I, not terrible they're very flawed that's what's painful about it it's not like they're cartoony in no. a lot of ways well in some ways they're very believable that's the thing with Wes Anderson. His characters are always a little bit exaggerated, a little bit larger than life. It sort of goes with that heightened reality. Yeah. But they're still, you believe them, and you get invested in them. Max, I will say, is a little tough, because yeah. we see Max doing literally so many things that there aren't enough hours in the day for him to actually do them. Because um, he's on the beekeeping society, which yeah. he founded. He's yeah, on the, the fencing team. The he's backgammon on, team. He's a yeah. second on the wrestling team, which uh, is pointless because he can't wrestle. No, he uh, can. That's the weirdest thing. We see him, when he starts wrestling, he's an alternate. Because I, I, I was paying attention. I thought, oh my God, he's going to get killed. Well, he does. And he doesn't. He's the one who flips the other guy. No, he loses. I thought he was the one in the black tights. No, no, no. He's in red. He's the one on the bottom. He oh, last I missed very that. Long. Okay. Yeah. But he is fairly athletic. We see him do like tumbling runs. <laughs> well, we see somebody do them. <laughs> well, excuse me. We see someone who's supposed to be him. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching him flip the guy. You know, I was on the wrestling team and I'm like, there is no way Jason Schwartzman, who looks like he weighs in that movie about 130 pounds, just flipped that guy. So yeah. it makes more sense that I got that backwards. But uh, also there's him doing his main thing which is putting on incredibly elaborate plays like yeah, that are all obvious ripoffs of something else well they like he, the first play we see him do is serpico i mean yeah. that's what it's called and that's what it is to be fair i haven't seen except the film, it so isn't well it is i say i didn't know if they were actually stealing the dialogue or not i'm but, pretty sure there isn't a nun shooting a machine gun out a window in the movie serpico i don't know i haven't <laughs> seen it <laughs> yeah yeah no it's true um, he does movies that are clearly inspired by uh, a place where he's inspired by movies, but you're very elaborate. Yeah. And, and and Anderson sets this whole weird non-reality. It's not heightened reality. It's, it's non-reality. For one thing, the film starts with a, a set of curtains mm-hmm. <laughs> like that open. He like loves the doing that. He does that yeah. in a lot of movies. A lot of his movies start with opening curtains. He really does. Clearly, this guy wanted to be a Broadway director. Or, no, an off-Broadway director. Well, either that or it's just hearkening back to when he was um, trying to get kicked out of school with his best buddy Owen Wilson, and he <laughs> put on plays. I don't know. Yeah. But there's something about the stage. Although he speaks in such... Even though it's very theatrical, those weird side shots with one character on left and stage left, one character on stage right, it's still very filmic in a way. Like, it's like you couldn't stage a play that way because nobody would watch it. But it's... No, it's he, he, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's bizarre. But uh, the other thing we get is we get a dream sequence right off the bat. It's Max, he's in his geometry class, and the teacher is uh, not threatening, he's challenging his students with what apparently is actually the world's most difficult geometry problem, and that if anybody solves it, then the whole class basically gets the rest of the year off. And Max gets up, and solves the equation. And then but, Max wakes up and we realize that Max actually sucks at geometry. Yeah. What is it? Dr. Guggenheim, who is the headmaster or principal or whatever, says he's the worst student they have. Yeah. Did you know that actor? That was Brian Cox. Excuse me. The late Brian Cox. I, I, it's like I sort of felt we've, I knew him. Yeah. you have, We've seen him. He, it, we, just, we saw him in some movie fairly recently. I can't remember what. But I mainly remember him these days from uh, the Mission, Imp- no, the uh, Born Identity movie, season like the first oh. two or three. Okay. See, I, he reminded me a lot of Lewis Black, and I was like, oh, I wish that had been Lewis Black. <laughs> oh, that would have been hilarious, <laughs> except it would have, Lewis Black, his personality's too big. He would, have do- he would have blown Jason Schwartzman off the screen, and they obviously didn't want that. That's actually a really good point. Let's talk about that for for a moment. So we have Bill Murray in, quite honestly, at that point in time, a role that will surprise you. Yeah. Because he was, I think, didn't we, because we talked about, um, uh, what's the stupid Looney Tunes movie we saw? Um, uh, Space Jam. Space yes. Jam. So in Space Jam, he's still doing his, pretty much his Bill Murray thing. Mm-hmm. We saw him in, wasn't he, he was in Osmosis Jones, wasn't he? Uh, yes, yes, he was Frank. He was the dad. And he was, he the, was in, doing... This really broad, horrible, yeah, disgusting clowny comedy. stuff, yeah. And so we get Bill Murray not doing any of that. No, he's very restrained. He's 
he, he's funny at times, but it's but it's more a kind of wry wit, wit as opposed. To, it's not broad at all. It's very downplayed. It's very subdued, and it's that that was what surprised me in Broken Flowers, which for me was the first serious Bill Murray movie I saw. I was I watched it and went, "Wait, you mean he can act?" Yeah, I it I had not occurred to me. I just thought he's like, oh, he's being—he's really good at picking movies that he can be Bill Murray in. It's like, no, yeah. the man can perform. And apparently he was just waiting for the right opportunity, and this was it. Mm. Um, Jason Schwartzman, who's new, we haven't seen him before. I actually got the, his audition tape is online, uh-huh. uh, and he kind of like nails it. it I, I mean, I, this is assuming this is what Anderson wants, but when you look at his audition tape, he actually wore a crested blazer to his audition. <laughs> nice but, touch. He he is Max right from the start. Uh, there's one scene that's hilarious, and I'm going to get to this right now, with the stupid twins. So there's one or two moments in the film where Bill Murray does, I don't know if you want to call it breaking character, but he breaks mood and he just snaps. Mm-hmm. Both of them are with the twins. And it's because in real life, the twins were that annoying, and all of the scenes of him like reaching around and smacking them and stuff were improvised, because oh. Bill Murray couldn't stand them. Is that Wow, I thought the kid looked very surprised when Murray smacked him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, the kids that are at the school, even uh, young Dirk there, uh, who is Max's sort of protege, um, he, when he gets angry, doesn't really rise above a simmer. Um, Yeah, very cold rage. Dirk was actually a really interesting character. Yeah. And even the big, the Scotsman. With the, the mangled ear. <laughs> Who, unfortunately, Max refers to as a dumb Mick, which is like, uh, and he, not, after he's been the, told the, the that he's not... The film character, not me. Yeah, no, no, no. But that's that's right after the point where, I think it's Dirk who said, he's not from Ireland, he's from Scotland. And that's how he then calls him a dumb Mick. It's yeah, like, he obviously uh, doesn't really know the difference yeah. between Scotland and Ireland. And I I actually liked uh, liked him. I wanted, that, I wanted to see more of that character. Well, I like the way he works out in the end because he's so he. So this is a Scots character whose name I should remember and I don't. Um, yeah. Gives it an M, um, and it's a weird name. But uh, he spends most of the time, strangely, in trees, uh, oh, taunting Mag- Max. Magnus, that's right. That Magnus. was the odd thing. He has he's Scottish, but he has a Scandinavian first name. Yeah, and he's got a broken arm for reasons we don't know. But, we don't know, and a uh, mangled ear. Yeah, and he spends the game taunting Max in one way or the other. Of course, we don't think about it at the time, but we don't. Uh, we, we realize later that he we never see him with anybody else. Mm. He doesn't probably have any friends because he's a jerk. And what ends up happening is eventually Max actually uh, casts him in one of the plays, and, it <laughs> and he just looks. Magnus, up, I love that moment. He looks up and goes, "I always wanted to be in one of your effing plays." Yeah. And he does a great job. Yeah. So uh, it's it's definitely very fairy taleish, but it is uh, the ending especially. But yeah. Uh, well, which one? Because mm. <laughs> one of there. my notes was so this movie uh, seems to end at the scene where Max says, "I was about to drop this tree on Herman," and then Herman's like, "Oh yeah, sure." He walks away, and the tree actually falls. So he actually was because there's one point where because they're rivals, the two of them basically try to screw with each other's lives there. as much as possible. I I have that written in mine. It just. Of course, you realize this means war. Yeah. Because what they start, at least initially, what they do to each other is just kind of dumb pranks. I mean, Max, as you know, member of, as we find, we remember, member of the beekeeping club. I'm guessing also <laughs> the the only member releases bees in uh, Bill Murray's uh, hotel, hotel room. room, and of course, all I'm thinking is not the bees. <laughs> Thankfully, um, I haven't seen that movie. But. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't bother. The, and uh, and uh, then Murray you know, Bill Murray over runs over his bike, <laughs> and then Max cuts his brake lines. Yeah, and that is one of the uh, the real problems I have with this movie is we are supposed to like Max. We are supposed yeah. to empathize with Max. Max is not a good person. At least for most of this movie, he is, uh, I think, unbalanced. When he cutting someone's brake lines is murder. It is tantamount right. to basically saying, I, I have no regard for your safety or the safety of any of the people you might run into. And they play it for laughs. And that bothered me. I think the only reason they even get close to getting away with it 
is because of this whole altered reality thing. I that suppose nothing in this film ever really feels that. Excuse me, feels that serious. That took me out of it though, because I, all oh, the rest of it is cartoonish. You know, even to the I was planning to drop a tree on you. You know, that's what Wiley e. Coyote would do, <laughs> and that releasing bees and like breaking bikes and uh, you know all that nonsense. Although it is also unsettling the fact that uh, Max tells Blue, Herman Bloom's wife that Herman is having an affair with Miss Cross, yeah, and destroys his marriage. Right. So it's. <sighs> And to be fair, this is his first big film, and I honestly don't remember the other films well enough to know if he skates this border again and again. I think he does it better. I think in the yeah. other films, there is the darker parts or the more horrible parts. He he finds a much better way to undercut them. Yeah. And there is also the, the way Max treats Miss Cross is ah. really problematic. Boy, is it. So let's talk about this little uh, love yeah. triangle. So. How many people, Max, if, you don't have to give me names, I don't care, but did you ever have a crush on a teacher? Honestly, no. I don't think I ever did. I just, I don't know, none of my f- teachers were that hot, I guess. Uh, there was a gym teacher. I could, uh, never mind. Um, yeah. No, it never but, happened with me. That was just something I avoided in grade school and middle school and high school. Just, nope. I believe that it happens. Well, actually, oh, it um, absolutely we know it happens. School that we went to, yeah. it happened the other way. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it does happen. It does. Um, it definitely does. There's all sorts. I mean, that's not a, that's it. The reason it's a standard film trope of the kid having a crush on his teacher because it happens a lot in reality. Sure. And I don't have. All right. So the, this, just to make sure that people understand who haven't seen the film, the love triangle is Max meets this fairly new teacher. She teaches a lower grade. Her name is Miss Cross. She's young. She's attractive. She's smart, which is one of the things that... uh, Actually, what attracts him to her is a quote that she's written in a Jacques Cousteau book that Mm. he takes out of the library. He tracks down the last person to take it out, realizes it's her, and thinks that they have something in common, of course, and he also has a crush on her. Uh, Max also befriends Herman Bloom, played by Bill Murray, in... And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, in a relationship that quite honestly has the most chemistry of anything in the film. <laughs> Those two are the most believe. They have the most believable relationship. They really work. Yeah. You know, and again, when you say chemistry, this isn't anything creepy. It's not like, no. you know, uh, you know there's, there's nothing romantic or sexual about it. They just, and honestly, Miss Cross sums it up really well. She says to Max at one point, you and Herman deserve each other. You're both little boys. Yeah. And, and they are. They really are. Even though Herman owns this big, I don't know if it's a chemical processing or It's a machinery. We don't know. I think they make sparks. It's sure. hard to tell. <laughs> oh, so they, so they were on hand for uh, videos for Flashdance and stuff. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, he is. He's a, a very successful, rich guy. Yeah. And, uh, but the, he's also incredibly immature, very self-centered. I mean, yeah. as we say, we're, we do feel sorry for him, but... You know, he's kind of he's really a jerk to his family. He well, clearly neglects his wife, his chi- and his children didn't turn out awful by themselves. No, but the twins are awful. Yeah, They're the twin. two jocks like bully types that you never want to have to deal with. And there's two of them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and they get they end up getting sent off to military school, which is probably to me the worst thing you could do is give these guys combat training, but probably because of course yeah. they liked it, so they you know it was yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. Um so there's that, but then of course Herman, while picking up his kids every day at Rushmore runs into Miss Cross, and then we get that. And I will say, of the three relationships, so Max and Miss Cross, Max and Herman Bloom, and Herman Bloom and Miss Cross, is the least believable. I don't see anything between... Did you? Not much. I mean, they're supposed to have chemistry because she reciprocates his feelings. She actually falls in love with him. And that part, I uh, honestly, their relationship I didn't buy on either side. The two actors just didn't have that chemistry. No, and we find out we found out that Miss Cross's husband, who used to go to Rushmore, uh, died a few years ago. So mm-hmm. she stole a little bit in mourning. So I can understand her being lonely. But we actually never see her feel lonely. She just tells us that she's felt lonely or we find like she still lives in the uh, the house he grew up in and she lives in his bedroom with all his stuff still hanging from the ceiling which isn't at all creepy yeah she's probably one of the major characters the least well developed i agree 
and sadly, she's the... There's one of two real female roles in this film, and neither of them's actually treated all that well. <laughs> you mean, you're talking about Margaret? Yeah. Is the other one? Yeah, that's right. The girl who sort of likes Max for reasons passing understanding, and <clears throat> that he eventually manages to recognize as being someone, you know, who's a little like him, because but... Who, who is also nice and uh, is someone that he could actually have a relationship with. Because his, his crush on Miss Cross, this is not just a schoolboy, you know, writing their names together in his Trapper Keeper or some such. Yeah. He actually, in, at time, a couple of times, tries, you know, assaults her. Or it would be an assault if he, you know, she couldn't beat the living crap out of him, which is pretty clear that she could. But he tries to, he forces his attentions on her a couple of times. Yeah, my my note was I wish Max, not you, him. Yeah. I wish Max wasn't say, so rapey. Yeah, uh, he is. He's very stalky and a little rapey. And yeah. I think it definitely works against the character. And yeah. it's it's uncomfortable, but not in a you should feel uncomfortable way because this film is dealing with an, a a heavy subject. Just in a oh, we considered this okay, so we filmed it kind of way. Something like that. That's the other thing we don't really know why Max is the way he is. There's some implication. Because his mother died uh, at some point in the past, we don't know how far back, that that must have done something to him. But we don't know why he is so, he loves his school, he loves Rushmore, as he says, it's his, it's his whole life. And, which, and when he's expelled, that kind of pushes him over the edge. Except why, if he loves it so much, why does he, he's not stupid, but he doesn't apply himself to any of his courses, he just does all these extracurricular stuff. Yeah, and you know that was one of my notes too. Is we get the idea that Max would be good at anything if he just applied himself, and he just was not interested in going through the motions. And this may very well be that autobiographical part, right? Like, unlike Owen, who did get expelled, um, I, I believe Anderson did graduate from Rushmore, uh, which is high school, whatever. But he obviously was the quirky odd student that went around doing things like forming clubs and staging plays and who went on to quite honestly a pretty successful career as a very successful yeah so you know it's in one way it's a very tried and true story right oh the square peg in the round hole and blah 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 blah. and the establishment is you don't need that to succeed and it's like okay there are probably some people who can do that i've not actually met any of them uh (laughs) But they're obviously out there. So I get that. The funny thing is, is that we never are given the idea that Rushmore is actually a bad place, right? Because no. he loves it. Yeah. It's just, he's just not interested in going to class. <laughs> yeah. And Rushmore is very, you know, you can tell what sort of places is. We, I don't think we see a single black student. Uh, I think it's all yeah. boys. I think it, it's all boys. No, because Margaret goes there. No, she does not. She doesn't meet her until he goes oh, to Grover right. Cleveland. <laughs> Grover Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wow. How William would you like Howard your Taft High School? Why would you? Yeah. How would you like your 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 school named after President Cleveland? You know, can you name anything Grover Cleveland did? Was he the one who died three months after he was elected? Uh, no, I don't. Th- uh, no, I actually I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> if you know. <laughs> No, Who's that was right? William That's Harrison. Right. That was oh, William okay. Harrison. William Henry Harrison. Okay, That's okay. It. Yep. Now, Grover Cleveland didn't even do anything that memorable. Oh, except, he did get elected Except twice. I believe he inspired oh. the character on Sesame Street. Wait, how did this happen? <laughs> he was apparently the 22nd and 24th president of the United States. That's right. That's the one thing he did is he, I think, is the o- one of the only ones who was ever elected to two non-consecutive terms. Uh, apparently the only, but yeah, uh, okay. weird. Okay, so now we know why we know. <laughs> I school after Grover Cleveland because he was elected twice without. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure he did other things. You go, please write us in. Yeah. Don't text us. Uh, but write us <laughs> in. Right. And Max Mike movies. You... We're teaching things. <laughs> but you can teach us. Teach yeah. us all about Grover Cleveland because yeah. that's something we really we really need to want know. To. We need to no. know. We yeah. will tell your story, Grover. Uh, you know, it, now that you think, I I don't remember. It might be all boys, or like you're segregated. I think or it. I think it was. I think it was all boys. Yeah. It's funny though, th- despite the fact that they're clearly this prep school. You notice he's the only one who wears the jacket. It's not entirely unlike Harry Potter, where like mm-hmm. in the first film, everyone has to wear the robes, and then afterwards, it's like, yeah, whatever. And <laughs> most of the times, I'm sure it's like that. Like, th- thankfully, neither you or I had to wear any kind of uniform because <sighs> good luck trying to make that work at our high school. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I would love to see what kind of uniform they came up with. Um, well, okay, I'm wearing a mascot head and Bermuda shorts. Uh, see, tie dye t shirt and uh, and lar and big pink fuzzy bunny fl- slippers. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we literally had a contest in October, not actually at Halloween, called the Cosmic Queen Contest. Which, if I'm mistaken, it was the year before I got there. Two of the entrants came nude. I believe that's right. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, that's the kind of high school... I, you know, I'm amazed nobody has thought to do a film about our kind of high school because uh, no one yeah. would believe half of what happened. Nope. Uh, yeah. Uh, not that it was that wild. It just it wasn't just... what people went through high school. So, mm. Hey, kids, imagine a high school where there are no hallways. There are no lockers. There is no class ranking. So... Uh, and pretty and well there were kind of clicks oh there were you, clicks but you were but they, kind of part you were part of more than one so like oh yeah i'm in the theater group but i play D, or mm. i play basketball but i play D, or <laughs> i weave but i'm also on the uh the lacrosse team right <laughs> it's like the, the whole thing of like oh yes i you know some schools i'm the editor of the school paper and our paper was like um anyone know who the editor is uh, did we have one I, sure the griffith yeah we, I think well, it was, oh, no, I'm an editor. I, I think it was oh. the guy with the tape. Whoever had the tape. Yeah, I think that was it. It was pretty much anyone who was like, I am willing to do the layout this week. <laughs> okay, you're editor. Yeah, and it, it, the it school was paper not a, will come out occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. we're getting a little anyway. off topic. Um, ah, it's fine. So back to the the, the, the three-way, the, the three-card yeah, of love. Yeah, yeah I, it's it's problematic. I see what he's trying to do. And I don't think it's a bad basis for a plot. I just don't know that it was executed that well. At least yeah, that's how I, I felt. I didn't think it worked. No. That was the part of the that was part of it that really didn't. And unfortunately, that particular part, the relationship, really height really emphasizes that Max Fleisch, Fleischer Fleischman, whatever the hell his name is, is really hard to like, and he is hard to connect with in the movie. It's one thing. It's not just that he's an awkward dork. He is incredibly feel. He has this weird sense of entitlement. He has. He does not respect other people's feelings at all, or or boundaries. And also, I just always was so annoyed that he's embarrassed by his father. You know, he tells everyone his father's a neurosurgeon. His father's a barber, and his father is adorable. He is. Father is really sweet. Again, he is not fleshed out. He is. We know nothing about him. Um, he puts a hat on and looks funny. That's pretty much his entire character. Is he is a barber and wears a funny looking hat, and also clearly loves his son very much. Apparently, the reason he's a barber is because of Charles Schultz. Um, was Schultz's father a barber? I know Charlie Brown's yeah. father is a barber. Yes, he was. Yeah. There's also apparently a point where he's carrying a plant in the winter, very much like Charlie Brown carried the little Christmas tree in the special of that. Uh, holiday and there's there was one other thing too um but apparently he he is a fan of charles schultz and that sort of okay that's not enough of a reason i'm sorry that that doesn't come no no no. you're right they should have definitely fleshed out the characters yeah but again and he is very likable and oh yes we also we do get a very young owen wilson as another potential love interest for miss cross who's playing well, we don't know. Is he a doctor? Is he a nurse? Is he a resident? We don't know much about him. Except oh, I that to, they have to step in real quick. It's Luke Wilson, not Owen Wilson. Same thing. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not. And you know, there's one big reason, and that's the nose. Oh, for me, it's the voice. Oh, for me, it's that dang vo- that nose. You know, that, I just that, can't stop staring at Owen Wilson's nose. It's just oh, that voice. Wow! I don't know. Why is this <laughs> happening? It's like. Owen Wilson, who is always supposed to be just this borderline self-aware character, like it's almost like we're reading lines from a script. It's like, no, oh, no, and it's like everyone else is reading lines from a script, and you're just making crap up. I keep waiting for him to actually say the points of punctuation, right? Yeah. So it's like quotation marks, my next line, and quotation marks. <laughs> and he also, I, I don't know if if the Luke got him into it or not. He's another one of the. Uh, cabal of wes anderson well they grew up together right because mm. they're brothers owen yeah, and yeah um wait owen lars 
Skywalker? <laughs> hmm, I sense a conspiracy. I think so. <laughs> to the internet! Yeah. Um, I... Uh, this is one of those prejudices I have, and I can't help it. Uh, one of them is another actor that tends to show up with Owen Wilson, which guarantees that I won't watch the movie, which is uh, Ben Stiller. <laughs> I know a lot of people like him, and that's fine. I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I just can't stand him. I just hit, huh? And if you put the two of them together in a film, forget it. Like I did see Rushmore because I didn't realize they were both in it. And it's like uh, ben, ben Stiller is in Rushmore? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Isn't Gene Hackman in that, too? He plays yes, he is. Bombs. He plays yeah. Royal Tenenbaum. He plays the yeah. pa- the very deeply flawed patriarch character. Yeah, and Angelica Houston's in there. And Gwyneth Paltrow. Hmm? He gets great people. You he gotta does. Give Wes Anderson that. Oh, yeah. His um, casting is always amazing. And, except, and, hmm? well, actually, let, let me ask this. Since you brought that up, how do you feel about Jason Schwartzman as Max? My only problem is he's a little too good looking. Really? Yeah, honestly, I think oh. he, if you look now, they were really trying to downplay with the bad haircut and the uh, makeup. But uh, Jason Schwartzman is a fairly good looking guy, and even at that age, he wasn't bad. And I thought Max should be a lot less. Uh, it, it didn't work as well, but I think oh. he did a very good job. He has that. He has that whole heightened reality. Uh, speaking a little too elaborately, way of that Wes Anderson just friggin' loves, and uh, I, I think he was a decent choice. I think he's very quirky, and the thing yeah. that I noticed a lot is he ha- he has this thing, and I don't know if it's Schwartzman or if it's Anderson, where when he's in a conversation and things aren't going his way, when he's about to change tack, like it's almost like it's a verbal skirmish, he tilts his head the other direction. <laughs> Huh. And it's a very weird little quirky thing, and I'll have to look at more Anderson films to see if that shows up more, but it was, it almost was like a tennis game occasionally, like when he's talking to Guggenheim and trying to get himself not expelled from double secret pro- I know it's, it's actually, I think it's sudden death pro- probation, yeah. of course, double secret probation is Animal House, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like this, it's this, definitely this like tennis game of verbal skirmishing, um, because his 15, he's supposed to be 15 in the movie... This 15-year-old kid is taking on the the lead of the school. And the fun part, this is where I think that Anderson's toning people down works, is that at any point in time, that headmaster could just say, get out of my office, yeah. and raise his voice or something, and he never does. They're on an even playing field. That's the odd thing. He really obviously dislikes Max, but he he treats him like an equal. Yeah. Which is very confusing. Well, and we find that Max is smart. He's just not willing. I, I don't know if it's to go through the hoops, but he's not wise. No. High intelligence, low wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> wisdom was his dumb stat, and I know yeah. all about that. Yeah. Uh, no nat 20s in this film. <laughs> uh, but you're totally right, because there's, there's times when we do like him. Like, early on in the film, it's like, hey, you know, he's nerdy, but he's competent. And he... He's annoying, but he's getting stuff done, and he's having a good... Okay, that's cool. Then the teacher shows up, and he acts... Okay, you've got a crush on her, but then he acts on it. And, and he, he acts, acts on, on it in, t- in really bad ways. Yeah, and it's like he... Cl- like, there's one point where he fakes an accident outside mm. her house. Oh, God. And he crawls up a, a ladder in the rain to her window, and she lets him into her bedroom, which, of course, is just like yuck. Yeah. Um, there's later on where he literally does force himself on her, so... And she throws him through a pile of boxes. The one thing I will say about this is that there was really no point that I didn't feel that Miss Cross was in control, which, fine, I'm glad for that, but it was still icky. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. And those points push Max from likable to needs to be hit in the head with a shovel. Well, then there's the other point where he is trying to get back at Magnus, and so he makes up this story about his best friend Dirk's mother doing something uh, sexually yep. with him in the back of the car, and of course Magnus, being no dummy, uh, ha- decides to get back at Max one day by telling Dirk, hey, you know, your best friend said this. And of course Dirk so- <laughs> goes nuts. Yeah, he's furious, and rightly so, because then the other thing Magnus says is that's the only reason he's your friend, Dirk, is because he thinks your mother's hot. Right. Which is true, by the way, at least initially, although we do see that they have a genuine kind of bond. They do. And I I understand characters needing to have um, 
conflict so that we they can potentially be redeemed. And I think in some ways, if it wasn't for the level of physicality that Max has in the relationship with Miss Cross, I, th- I think even the nasty thing he said about Dirk's mom, I could forgive him for at the end of the yeah. film. But the rapey feeling, it's like, ugh, I don't know. Yeah, that's very hard to get past. It really is. I mean, the manipulation that he does on her also is really unpleasant. Well, I like the fact that she kind of ignores a lot of it. Mm. Like, he wants her to show up. He's like, he somehow cons Herman into funding this giant aquarium building that's supposed to be built on the the playing field. Mm -hmm. Um, And he gets a check for the money to start doing it, and he's all doing it to try and impress her. And she's like, yeah, I'm not showing up, and she doesn't. She doesn't. Um, she doesn't play. Yeah, she is not willing to play his games. Just right. where she starts to show some personality and some character, and then we move on to something else. Yeah, we don't get a lot of time with her, which is a shame because yeah. there probably is an interesting character in there somewhere. I honestly just don't think. I get the feeling that they don't know what it is either. And then there's the ending. Which, well, again, so for me, it ends three times. There was the one with the part mm. with the tree. There's a tar- part where Herman finally just goes to the barber shop. And he seems to get made over and become... He just gets a haircut, really. But um, he seems to sort of accept that he's going to have to change and move on. And then the ending I'm guessing you're talking about. Yeah, then there's the play and the end of the play. And it just with the, the uh, it just reminds me a little too much of the end of Wayne's World, where they go, let's do the mega happy ending, where everyone starts getting nicely paired off, you know. Max's single dad meets this nice woman, and they're, they're dancing, and... Uh, Margaret Yang has forgiven him for being such a complete and utter jerk. I have no idea why she liked him in the first place, except he is pretty articulate. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, the play, for some reason, is a huge success, despite the fact I believe he was using actual dynamite in it. (laughs) Well, and I don't care what kind of fake rounds they're using. Uh, They're as real as any fake rounds used in Hollywood. And this is at a high school play. Yeah. And it's this this play about Vietnam and all this... this, uh, violence and shooting Plus and gunfire and one guy uses a flamethrower which is spewing out actual i mean it's not a real flamethrower but it's spewing out actual fire <laughs> and you're just sitting there going how do they yeah. get any of these things into a high school heightened yeah. reality or not mm. uh, but yeah he he basically he he manipulates the ending that's what max does it's not even that he's manipulating people he's manipulating the ending of his own story yeah. um and i I think I had an easier time with it than you did because it was like, at this point, I don't believe anything. So sure, why not? (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's really, I still don't see Miss Cross and Mr. Bloom together. I just, it just doesn't. And it's very clear from the end that they are, that they're going to be together. And yet she ends up dancing with Max. Right. And I don't know, there was something just weird about the way they're looking at each other in that final shot. Were you thinking maybe uh, uh, Letourneau-ish? I was beginning to wonder a little. Yeah. I mean, eh, I... that whole part just... This is very clearly a fledgling movie. You know, this is the guy's second movie. and But we'll talk about that when we do the wrap-up. But yeah, that the ending didn't fit the rest of the movie to me. I, I think you're right. I think it should have ended either with the tree falling or, with, or after leaving the barber shop. Yeah. Uh, I will say that this is a very good depiction of awkwardness. I would say the entire film is about various degrees of awkwardness. <laughs> yeah. Although um, I have to say the one thing I found genuinely touching and it's the it's again why it should have ended there is at the barber shop when Max offers Herman he takes out his two obviously the only two awards he's gotten at from Rushmore these little lapel pins. One is for punctuality and perfect attendance. Yeah. And he says, you pick one, I'll, you wear one, and I'll wear one. Yeah. And I, lo- I thought, okay, that is genuinely sweet. That's a nice touch. That's where we should have stopped. And I like the fact Herman, re- he gets it. He understands what this means. And he just looks and goes, I'll take punctuality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, there's that chemistry. Those two actors get on camera very well. And we've talked about this through many episodes where like, oh, there's a love interest in the film. But these two guys are actually a lot closer than any man and woman in this film. And and I don't know. I'm willing to I don't know the actress in this case. I don't I don't know 
if I've seen her in other films. I don't, I don't know. I don't recognize her either. I don't think I've seen her in anything. I think she may have done uh, more European films. So I don't know how That's, much of uh, the Olivia blame Williams. I would, yeah, I don't know how much of the blame I would lay at her feet. But this also seems to be one of those films, or he should I should say that Wes Anderson seems to be one of those directors who directs a lot. I have this feeling he's fairly meticulous in how things are said and staged and said. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think I, more of the blame's probably going to be, I would aim it more towards him and or Owen Wilson, who co-wrote the film. Yeah, that, I, can't, I can't say for sure, but I think you're right. Uh, I, I'm willing to give her this, the, the benefit of the doubt. Although, again, you know, this is one of those things that Hollywood needs to stop doing, is they need to stop having the older man getting the younger woman because it was gross 50 years ago, and it's still gross. Mm. Um, how about they're roughly the same? Like, maybe he's just 10 years older than her. Like, hey, it's not that I didn't want to see Bill Murray in this, but it, or I don't know. It's just it's that, that trope is long I would say it's welcome. It can work. It can work in some movies. It doesn't, I don't think it works in this one. Like, strangely, I think it worked fairly well with Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that also it was creepy. The fact, you know, him and Lauren Bacall, he was like, what, 25 years older than her? Yeah. Except if, you got the idea that if she wanted to, Lauren Bacall could pick Humphrey Bogart up and throw him off the boat. That was the like, thing. It was, it was less a question of, you know, she was some child. You get the feeling, and this is, I think, why they, they stayed together for, for you know, his into, most of his life, or the, what was left of it, and that was, uh, she was a match for him. You know, she was easily as tough as he was. I totally got the idea, especially, was it to have and have not was their first one? Yeah. I had, I just totally got this feeling where he's looking over, like, thinking, I, I think I'm attracted, oh, she's younger than, I'm kind of attracted, and she looks over and says, not, she doesn't actually say this, but mentally is thinking, I'll tell you when you're attracted to me. <laughs> So, yeah, and there's, of course, back then you didn't show as much of the, you couldn't show as much of the potentially rapey qualities of such a nasty Mm. little thing. Um, And so it's not as bad, but still it's like, like even a film I really like, which is Charade, we've got uh, Cary Grant, who's well into his 50s, and we have Audrey Hepburn, who's well into her 20s, and it's like, it's it's uh, like, oh, daddy, no. Well, even Cary Grant was like, I really don't think I should yeah, be doing he wasn't. Part. He wasn't comfortable with it, and not just for the other reason. And but it sort of works? It does, kind of, but you do have find, I, as a modern audience especially, it is a little cringy. Yeah, and here, it's a modern film. More or less, it's 20 years old. Yeah. But it's like, okay, and again, we don't see the chemistry. It's there because they tell us it's there, or they put them together in the same shot. Uh, but you know, you lead a lead a pony to water, you can't make him drink, uh, right, Bumpy? Uh, that's about it. I've got for my notes. What yeah, about you? No, that I think we've uh, I think we've covered it. Although I do, there was that line that Bill Murray has I really liked, which is when it's after you know Max decides not to murder him with the falling tree, and. <laughs> He's explaining why, how he feels about Miss Cross. He just says, she's my Rushmore, Max. And he, Max just looks back and goes, I know, she was mine too. Again, the, the, chemistry, chemistry, between, right? <laughs> the chemistry between the two of them, the fact they get each other. The two of yeah. them, they have almost nothing in common, but they understand each other. And they understand each other better than I think any other two other characters in the, in the movie. You know, I'm kind of starting to wonder, this just occurred to me, and I would love it if somebody has either done a study on this or would like to do a study, and please, anybody out there who has heard of such a thing, I wonder if it's just that a lot of male screenwriters simply don't know how to write women. Mm. That they're like, well, I totally know how to write like uh, a scene between two best buds, because like, yeah, me and my best friend, oh yeah, no problem at all. And then it's like, oh dear, your eyes, comma, are like limpid pulls up. It's like, do they just not get it i don't know i I think there must be some who can but i would not be surprised if the vast majority don't i mean this is one of the big things we've always heard is that there aren't a lot of good parts for women in hollywood they tend to be they tend to fall into certain categories they're trying to break out of this now but it's a real up it seems to be a real uphill fight and they got a long way to go and like how often 
lately have you heard or heard your female friends like just shout out to a film with two guys in it that are best buds and having a scene just kiss already <laughs> right I, I, oh yeah oh yeah there's so or, much or more something going more on graphic yep yeah of course and of course that's not what is trying to be implied it's just like look i see the chemistry i don't see it over here where i'm supposed to it's all between these two guys well th- so. this whole thing with the idea that the male characters interacting is always more interesting this is where the idea of the bechdel test came up right you know uh sarah uh, i think it's her first name is sarah right sarah bechdel allison allison excuse me allison bechdel who is a graphic novel artist uh really went over for what fun home and a bunch of uh, others she did yeah she did, she i did, off the top of my head i don't know that i didn't i don't know the titles but. yeah but she came up with this test as she points out how many movies fail this that is find look at a movie and tell me is there any scene in it with two named female characters, that matters. They have to have names. We have to know who the characters are, who have a conversation for at least thirty seconds that is not about a guy, in any way, shape, or form. In any way, and it is amazing how few movies actually pass that test. And it's probably like ninety-eight percent. I don't. I don't know the numbers, but most of them fail that test. Some yeah. of the ones that surprise that. Uh, pass it are kind of surprising yeah maybe that's the thing because you know we as i said we've talked about this before it's like the two guys there's a lot more chemistry i don't see it between and i i don't know if it's again occasionally a casting issue um or what but it happens over and over again and i I don't want to see max and herman in a relationship although i could see uh, herman going through with the divorce, the family going, we don't need or want you, we have your money, go away. And Max in some way adopting, I'm sorry, Herman adopting Max, not mm. necessarily legally, but just like in 10 years, those those two guys still get together for holidays. I can see stuff. him being like a mentor figure because the thing is, it's not like Max lacks a warm father figure in his life. No. His father is very clearly a loving, kind man. Yeah. he doesn't quite. They don't quite get each other, but you know that happens a lot. Yeah, that's that's pretty common. Uh, and also, Max's dad's a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But hey. The Roundup. Hmm. Max, yes. this is the first time you've seen this film. It is. But not your first Wes Anderson film. No, so, no. what did you think? Uh, I think it's definitely an early effort. I can see the seeds of what would become a director I like. I don't know if the movie works overall. I think there are some really good parts to it, but it doesn't hold together. And again, I find the main character just too cringy and too problematic. Mostly, again, because of his relationship with Miss Cross. He just crosses, as it were, crosses the line a few too many times. Get him, Bumpy. Crosses the line. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I'm glad I saw it, although it is a very uncomfortable movie to watch. There are parts that just you just very cringy. And I don't just mean... Uh, uh, the stuff with Miss Cross, I mean, Max himself is, I don't understand how his first day at Grover Cleveland, he was not wedged into oblivion. Yeah, and they, it sort of implies that he's going to be, right? Kind of, except then he basically falls into his old role and ends up, you know, he games the system again. He figures out how to how to become a power figure in this high school. We don't really see how, but he does. Or at least to be left alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about follow you? Up question. Mm. Well, quick follow-up question. Yeah. So you, th- you think it's problematic. Would yeah. you recommend it at all? Uh, I, if you're a Wes Anderson fan and you want to see the beginnings of his Wes Anderson-liness, I, <laughs> I would see this as a historical film. As is just like, would I recommend this as a movie to watch because you'd enjoy it? No, honestly, I would not. I think he's done a lot better. I think there's... You want to watch a Wes Anderson film? There's a bunch of others that are that you'll enjoy more. What about you? So I did see this film. I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw it in the. Uh, it must have been dang close um, because it came out in '98. I know I saw it in '98 because I was still in Boston and I'd left Boston in '98. So I think I saw it on video cassette with a friend of ours. I think I saw it with Libby. Um, I don't think I saw it in the theater. Um, I think it's got good parts to it. I think that it is basically Wes Anderson 
going zero to 60, right? So he doesn't sit there and is like, oh, I wonder how I'd shoot. I wonder how it, no, he shoots exactly everything the way you would expect Wes Anderson to shoot things. Uh, the curtains for every act, uh, the quirkiness, or as you would put it, the tweeness of things, uh, the quote unquote heightened reality, which I still think is just not reality. It's more fairy tale. Yeah. Uh, and he has a voice from frame one. Uh, I didn't see bottle rocket, but this is, this is a good enough start. Again, just like you, I find the character Max problematic because we're he's our protagonist, and we're obviously supposed to like him, but he does a couple of things that are quite honestly douchey, and some things that are kind of rapey, and I just I just don't have a stomach for that, especially if it's like you're adding on to the fact that one of the characters is underage. Mm. Admittedly, it's the underage character who's pushing things, but that doesn't make it any better. Um, and, you know, as you pointed out, if you take your one step sideways out of uh, non-reality he's cut the brake lines of a car and about to drop a tree on somebody yeah. so it's i will definitely say it's not wes anderson's best film would i recommend it yeah you know i probably would like if you've <laughs> never seen a wes anderson film i'd say sure his films are not offensive generally i mean here again we have those little quirky annoying problems that are like cringy um it's just can you stand his style of filmmaking um, by the time you get to Grand Budapest Hotel, which I really liked, it is a charming film. It is a weird film. Yeah. Um, and you generally don't know where you're going. I will give him that. I don't generally know where we're going to end up in a Wes Anderson film. Um, it's, I think it's it's something that people probably, I could see other people not having as much trouble with as we did. Mm. Um, I would not put it on the top of his list. Uh, a film that I, I just somehow dragged my feet on and didn't want to see, ended up really liking was Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I don't even know why mm. I dragged my feet, but that was a, a very enjoyable film. But it's animated um, ones. I really like Isle of Dogs. I, you know, and I couldn't get myself to watch it. I don't know mm. why. Huh. It's like you liked Fantastic Mr. Fox. Why won't you watch this? No. No. Uh. So I'd say be aware of those issues, you know, that the character Max is not, and I'm going to say he's flawed, not as in he's a flawed character, but I think he's flawed in his portrayal. Uh, I don't think there's any chemistry between the uh, Miss Cross and anybody else in the film, really, yeah. besides, okay, I'll accept you as a friend. Um, but there's some other nice relationships. There's, the, you know, the high school part is fun. So yeah, yeah, with with a caveat. Okay, but now... We have come to the end of our Ancient History the 90s series. Or have we? Well, hold your bumpies there, pal, because uh, oh. we have we talked about this. And the 90s, there are so many influential and major films that came out of this decade. Films that even if they themselves were not masterpieces, were tremendously influential on the last 30 years of movies. And I think that deserves an extension. So I think, what? yeah. Okay, you can stop pretending this is my idea. Okay. <laughs> it totally was Max's idea. <laughs> we are going to, in effect, do a a fifty percent discount on our solar panels. Sorry, sorry, Birdemic reference. We are going to do a fifty percent extension. We are moving this series from eight episodes to twelve. So we're going to do twelve. We're going to do another four movies, two each. Well, and uh, cover some more of the uh, 90s. Do I have to study? Uh, it's that, studying. It's that room in your house where, you, where your dad keeps books or stuff. I'm not sure. Uh, bathroom? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, we're, so that's we're, where you watch the movies for this podcast. Oh, boy, this film's getting intense. Flush. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, this uh, movie's dull. I'm going to brush my teeth. Um, uh, so you're going to extend this uh, series, are, yeah. are you? So how are you extending it? In what direction? In well, what, in what way <laughs> thank you save ferris um well i thought i'd go with another light-hearted easygoing movie kind of from a well-known quirky director who's known okay. for his gentle themes and I, I feel pain yeah yeah i i can't maintain this yeah uh one of the one of the directors that really emerged exploded really in the 90s was quentin tarantino Oh God! It's not. You please. Yeah, not. we are going to watch uh, his Oscar-nominated film. I think uh, it might be his only Oscar-nominated. Well, I hope so. it was the only one that almost won and should have won. We can, we'll talk about that. Pulp Fiction. 
Ah. That's right. We're going to explain ah. what they call all well, a quarter pounder with cheese over in France. And uh, they don't. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They do, and we're going to find out what they call it, and we're going to get on our we're going to get on our gimp suits and carry our MacGuffin briefcase, and we're going to watch us some Pulp Fiction. Oh, have we too? We have to. What is what's happening to your your addiction? Huh? <laughs> I'm facing having to watch a Quentin Tarantino film. Oh, That's why on, you, it's the one film watched, I've avoided. You've watched a bunch. Of, you've watched at least half of his movies. Which not is, on purpose. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're going to watch truly. this one because man, did this shape did this shape movies for for the last twenty years, and certainly this is the one that really established Quentin Tarantino. Couldn't we watch a nice episode of Ren and Stimpy or something? <laughs> no, you idiot! <laughs> Push the candy-like button! <laughs> this has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.